This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Kindled Podcast. I'm your host, Haley Williams, and this is the show where we talk about work, motherhood, and the grace we need for both. We are making and being made. Come join us. Hello, friends. You're listening to episode 80 of Kindled, and I'm your host, Haley Williams. Today, I'm chatting with Scarlett Hiltabadal. Scarlett is the author of Afraid of All the Things, and he numbered the pores on my face. Today, Scarlett and I talk about anxiety about fear, nervousness, and whether that fear for you is one of not being good enough or not being skinny enough or not being a good enough mom, making the wrong decision, messing up your kids. I mean, the fears can seem seem endless and they kind of are endless when we're focused on what could go wrong or how we're not doing well or performing or measuring up. But Scarlett and I talk about how God's kindness leads us to repentance and repentance in making the fear the focus and how um, his word actually provides the solution. And we can inject the gospel into those fears to find truth and peace. So that's what today's conversation is all about. And I think you guys are going to love it. Here's my conversation with Scarlett. Scarlett, I'm so happy to have you on Kindle today. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Haley. So I would love for you to introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us who you are and what you do. Okay. I am Scarlett Hiltabidal, hard last name to spell and say. I write books and I live in Tennessee and have three little girls, Ever, Joy, and Dewey. Her real name is Brooklyn, but we call her Dewey. And one of them is in public school. One of them homeschools. We're, We're all over the place. We are currently living out a farm life experiment that hasn't gone super well. So we are probably going to move back into like a suburb type situation sometime in the next year. But we have spent the last year or so pretending to be farmers and having like chickens and stuff. And it's hard, man. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So tell me more about that farm life experiment. What caused you guys to try this experiment? Well, my husband had some country roots. I did not. I grew up in LA, New York, and Miami, and Nashville is the smallest town I've ever lived in. Wow. So it's really, yeah. Yes. I don't know. It's kind of a long story, boring story, but um, <laughs> his grandfather lived on some land. We would visit. His grandfather died. His grandfather was amazing, and we went to visit his farm, and anyway, it just kind of led to us saying, let's do it, and we found this place that was just outside of Nashville. And it's really, really beautiful. But yeah, it's, it's kind of a commitment to be a farmer, you know? <laughs> yeah, kind of. Kind yeah. of a big one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of a big one. <laughs> we have like a little vegetable garden in the back and I can barely stay on top of that. Like just to even yeah. something as simple as keeping squirrels from eating like the strawberries and the broccoli that is forming, like that is a challenge yeah. in and of itself, let alone like actually trying to really produce anything beyond like a yeah. couple of bites here and there. Yeah. I mean, we weren't trying to do it like to be farmers. It right. was just kind of a, a dream of my husband's, but he has lived it out and he's like, you know what? This isn't really the stage of life for this. <laughs> right. So um, yeah, we're yeah. probably going to move closer to civilization soon. 
Yeah. Wow. That's funny. Well, I'm sure yeah. your, your girls have enjoyed that for, you know, for yeah. the time you've been there. It has been really, it's been fun. That's cool. So what does work look like for you then? Well, it has looked like, well, since my oldest was when she, when my oldest was born, that's when I started writing and I was doing a lot of freelance stuff, writing articles and all that. And then I started writing curriculum for like Bible study curriculum for churches. And then the book writing started probably two years ago. It started with some freelance projects I did. And then it led to these two books. One of them is already out. The other one comes out next month. Mm-hmm. And so what does work look like? It's been unique in the last um, year with the book release stuff. So it's writing deadlines, articles, interviews like this. Yeah, I'm learning to manage my time because it's it's not, the you know, there's no day that's really the same. Mm-hmm. It's very different every day. Yeah. So trying to figure that out because I was, I mean, all this, since my oldest was born, I've worked from home as a stay-at-home mom slash working from home mom. Some seasons that's looked like me taking the kids to the YMCA gym so that I could knock out deadlines mm-hmm. <laughs> and, eat, and eat chocolate while people work out in front of me. Yeah. And other times it's looked like getting a babysitter so I could go have a meeting, you know? So yeah. I'm still figuring it all out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, for me right now, uh, I'm just glancing over, you probably noticing me looking over to the side because my three-year-old is refusing to nap, just dancing around in her bed. She has recently realized <laughs> that she doesn't actually have to sleep during her quiet time because she has like a big girl bed. So <laughs> I'm really like fighting. I'm I'm kind of trying to figure out the balance of that. Like, do I, do I enforce like lay down and go to sleep or is it like, if you're in your room, I don't care, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I haven't quite decided yeah. how I feel about it because she really needs this sleep, but I mm-hmm. can't make her sleep you know? Right. Yeah. That's Um, the age where they, I mean, mine, I think mine were like four when they kind of started not always napping. Yeah. My three-year-old is, or she's four now. My four-year-old is currently napping, but it doesn't always work. Sometimes she is. Right. Right. I know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess it's just, it is what it is. So yeah, I totally understand how you just have to do what it, whatever it looks like in that season. And then the last question I'd like to ask kind of as an intro is where are you seeing God's grace in your life? That's a good question. I cling to God's grace in my life every day as a parent, for sure, because just like my working and juggling motherhood and work things every day is kind of, I'm figuring it out. It's the same when I'm just only focused on parenting every day, really. And Mm -hmm. that's what kind of the inspiration behind the Afraid of All the Things book was um, some great parenting advice that I got. And the book is not about parenting. It's about fear and anxiety and just kind of, it's kind of memoir, like it's kind of my story. But what helped me to seeing God's grace, well, what helped me rest in his grace and really believe that I could access it all the time was sitting in a circle of women and getting good parenting advice. And all these women were so wise and they had all these great things to say and books that I should read. And I had a three month old at the time. Anyway, this is all in the book, but long story short, this woman named Elizabeth gave me really good advice in just applying the gospel to all of life. She just said in my home, you know, if I fight with my husband or fail it with my children, I apologize to them. I show them what it looks like to repent and pray and ask for forgiveness. And I, my goal isn't to be perfect because that's impossible. And it's not to have perfect kids. It's to show that I'm weak and I need Jesus every day. And that was such a freeing thing for me. So honestly, like I cling to God's grace in my parenting because I want so badly to be the perfect mom. And I wake up every day wanting to be the best mom I can be. And I fail a lot. But I'm really thankful I met Elizabeth when I had a baby because it helped me to take those moments when I don't 
act graceful toward my kids and say, I love you. I'm so sorry. I need God's grace in this moment. And this is the hope we have, you know, and I get to teach them out of my failure, not that it's an excuse, but that it's, it's something I can rest in because I can't be good enough, you know? So every day in my day-to-day parenting little people, that's, that's where I see it and need it. It's so true. We are parenting out of failure and, and not out of like success most of the time. And I don't, I don't think that's like necessarily not how God intended it. You know, I mean, it's like, that is how he's designed us. Like not that he designed us as to, to fail because he's not the author of sin, but he, I think that he uses those times where we do fail, like sometimes more than the times where we're like hitting, hitting every, you know, step in stride and doing all the, you know, doing it right, which is really not that often for me, but (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because then we can feel self-sufficient and yeah. we don't point to Jesus. At least I don't. When I feel yeah. like I'm nailing it, I don't right. cling to him the same way. And I'm not way. telling my kids like that I need help too. I'm just kind of like probably appearing to be like either, you know, super mom, which I, I know I'm not, but they might view me as like, wow, you've got it together or something, even though I don't mm-hmm. think kids think that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, I. It feels it feels really frustrating to us a lot of times, but I think I'm grateful that I'm at least able to have somewhere to point when I do have those failures. Exactly. It's like, it's like, I think it's Romans 8, 15, where Paul says, does this mean we go on sinning? So because grace may abound by no means. It's like, it's not like, okay, we can be terrible parents now, but it's just like the whole thing of when you're walking with Jesus, experiencing his love, you overflow with it. It's not something that you're doing to earn perfect mom label, you know? Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So getting into like the topic that you kind of have chosen to focus on for this book of fear and anxiety, what is your story with that? And you said it's sort of a memoir, I guess, in, in a sense, like what, where does that kind of come from in your past? Well, so I grew up in kind of an unusual setting. My mom was an actress and we, I was born in LA and she got cast as a, she was a cast member on Saturday night live. Mm -hmm. And she got that job when I was six months old. And wow. so my, the backdrop of my childhood was growing up on that set and movie sets. And my dad was a magician and it was just a very colorful, um, <laughs> yeah. unusual upbringing. But of course, as a kid, you don't know that your life is unusual until you grow up and you're like, oh, not all kids have <laughs> these experiences. Yeah. But then my mom left the show. My parents got divorced and I was about five. So that's kind of the time you start remembering things anyway. Mm-hmm. But we had moved LA to New York, to Connecticut, to Miami. And my mom remarried and I was starting a new school. And that's when I remember like having stomach aches every day driving to school. And I didn't know the word anxiety and I wasn't psychoanalyzing my five-year-old self. <laughs> you know, yeah, I was yeah. just like, why does my stomach hurt every day? And then I started first grade and the teacher said, fold your hands at your desk. And I would like fold them with such force to make like I was the best hand folder there could be because I was... I don't know. I was always stressed. I was very stressed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was a happy kid. It's not like I was miserable all the time, but I just had this kind of underlying panic throughout my childhood into my adult years. And like I told you a minute ago, that parenting advice from Elizabeth really helped me learn to fight my anxiety because it's I haven't written a book that's like, I'm over it and I'm the best and you can be too. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. thank goodness I didn't write that because, well, you know, I still fight it all the time, but now yeah. I know how and I know I can apply the gospel to it. So anyway, yeah, that's how it all kind of started. Wow. So then how and when did you realize that what that that, that had a name? Like that feeling in your stomach was anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like was it much later in life or when did that become an awareness for you? 
Well, my doctor would call it nervous stomach because we did go to doctors about it. I did collapse in a grocery store and I was taken to the hospital because I thought my appendix was rupturing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. I had just learned that that was a thing and became obsessed with it. And so, of (laughs) course, I... I knew that, and you know, I write about it in the book in a lighthearted, funny way, but at the moment it was horrible, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know the word anxiety. Let me see. I mean, I knew I was, I I think that when you live in fear and panic, you just are just like in survival mode. You're not like, what is, and it, yeah, I didn't really know those words. I didn't go to counseling or anything until I was in college battling eating disorder. And that was my first time in counseling. And then after, and then I had a miscarriage and then I went to counseling a lot in that season, but yeah, it's kind of hindsight. And of course, once you've written a book about something and then you do interviews like this, then you really think about it. But yeah, I don't know. I was just kind of trying to be as good as I could be at everything I did. And I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that makes, that makes a lot of sense that you would have maybe not even identified till, till you were in counseling for something else that like, right. Exactly. Yeah. This is something that I've actually been dealing with my whole life, you know? Like, why am I making myself throw up? (laughs) Like, that was like Mm -hmm. a question that we were sitting in this room with a white noise machine, you know? And so you're right. It was, that was probably around the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you think this is kind of a tangent, but was the eating disorder connected to the anxiety or would you? I totally think so. Okay. No, I totally think so because I was living in fear. I mean, honestly, until eight years ago when I had that moment that I write about with Mm -hmm. Elizabeth. I was just living in it. And I think that I just grasped for control in whatever way I could. Mm -hmm. Um, So before that happened, like in high school, it was straight A's and it was trying to make the guy I liked like me back and Mm -hmm. trying to make all the teachers like me. And just, you know, I definitely think it was something I could control. I think Mm -hmm. I traded, I think I describe it in the book as trading the fear of not being good enough for trading the fear of not being skinny enough. And it was like, it was this obsession that started out as, oh, I want to lose a couple pounds and then just kind of spiraled out of control. Yeah. But, and I write about this a little bit in this book and a lot in the next book that comes out next month. But yeah, that was a, such a cool way that God healed me of that because I've had no issue in over 10 years. And it was his word that led me to repentance and healing and just really cool. Anyway. Yeah, that is really awesome. So you mentioned a second ago, injecting the gospel into that specific situation in your life with your parenting and that kind of like start that message spread into other areas of your life as well. Can you talk more about like what you mean by that? Cause I think it's so easy for us to use like terms like that, but then not yes. really maybe be able to under explain what we mean. So mm-hmm. from your particular experience, could you kind of talk about like what that looked like for you? Yeah. I am so glad you asked for that, Haley, because that was my whole issue my whole life because I had heard the gospel and I had probably heard people say, apply the gospel to everything in your life, Mm -hmm. you know? And it was just words. Like you said, it was like, okay, but what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And so that's why I'm so thankful for Elizabeth practically laying out her home. Like I just did for you. So practically in my life, I just learned like, I don't just read, I'm not reading the, so, you know, the God sees the intentions of our heart. So I'm not reading the Bible and praying and going to church to be good, I can rest in his goodness. So what does that look like? It looks like, you know, taking every failure because I do wake up wanting to be a good mom and wanting to do good at my job and wanting to be a good wife, Mm -hmm. but I don't always, you know, frequently I don't. So it looks like practically in my life right now, when I'm 
dealing with my fear or I'm like going over something I'm nervous about in my head. Like, what if this conversation happens? What if this person says this, then what am I going to say? That's a huge, huge part of my anxiety. It's like, if this, then that thing. What I do is I've learned that first of all, and it sounds so basic, but it's so real and true. God's word is living and active. That's what it says it is. And it is. And when you experience it and you see that if you really do hide his word in your heart and know it, that it's in there. And if you Mm -hmm. believe it and say, and the thing is, I'm so forgetful. So like saying it back to myself in my prayers, getting people who spur me on, not just to (laughs) do the Christian-y things, but to know God, that's what helps me. So like in this season of the book thing, it's looked like getting on my physical knees, which I I was kind of turned off to that idea my whole life Mm because I thought it felt like um, ritualistic to get on your knees. Like what? I can talk to God anytime, which is true. And honestly, I haven't been doing as well at it lately. It's not like I have to do it, but it was really helpful for me to start getting on my knees to kind of remind my body that I'm weak. Like this whole thing we're talking about, we're weak, we need Jesus, you know? Yeah. And then I would start praying and not just say, dear God, blah, blah, blah. This is what I need. And just kind of feel like I'm saying stuff that's bouncing off the ceiling, but to just preach the gospel to myself and just say, what Jesus did. Like you died for me. You are the son of God. I believe this. You are the son of God. You came to this, you left heaven and came here for me. You died, you rose again so that I can have access to this God who created me. And and, you know, you start saying that to yourself. And then I also tell God and tell my own self out loud, out loud helps a ton for me. Things he's done in my life or in the lives of people Mm. I know and love recently. And it's like that hymn that says the things of this world will grow strangely dim. And it's Mm -hmm. so true that when I am like so rattled over something that is in front of me (sighs) that I can't take my eyes off of it, like if I just speak the truth and of eternal things, set my mind on things above, not on earthly things, Colossians 3, 2. When I do that, the things of this world really do grow strangely dim and like it works, like it actually works. And so I would just say simply, practically, I try to help my kids and myself memorize scripture. I was telling my kids this morning, last night I was up at three feeling anxious and I couldn't go back to sleep. So I prayed for some people and then I just asked God to bring to my mind verses for Mm -hmm. my heart. And he did because we play music. We play seeds of worship music, which is this, I think it's a family band, but they set Bible verses to music for kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, we play that, we play other ones like that. And I started singing some of these songs I play in my house for my kids and it is comforting. And I did fall back asleep and it's like, I just want, I just know the transforming power of the Bible and that's what it is. So that's what I do. There's so much good stuff. And what you just said, I was trying to take notes (laughs) to remember what to ask you. (laughs) Yeah. I love, uh, you know, a few things that you mentioned, like that we all wake up wanting to be good. We all, you know, you mentioned you didn't want to really, you at one point your desire for going to church might've been to be good or, you know, to be a good mom or to be a good parent or good at your work. And it made me think of like the verse and I don't know the exact reference, but you alone are good, you know, and Mm, maybe in the Psalms, like you alone are good, God, like that, that truth is so freeing. And you're talking about preaching to yourself, you know, reciting the truth that you already know. And I think what's important to point out about why that matters is because we're in a spiritual battle. Like there is actually spiritual battle going on for your heart and mind. And I think fear and anxiety is one of those things that the enemy has somehow really capitalized on in this generation of mm-hmm. not just women, men and women, and really cause a lot of people because it, it seems like 
there are real things to be afraid of, right? Like there are real yeah. uncertainties. There's real, totally. I can't guarantee anything about my life. Like I can't guarantee that I have one more breath. And so it's a really easy, like kind of functional way to like tear you down and make you feel like I can't even move forward. Like why, how can I even do anything, you know? And it's yeah. so easy to go down that spiral in a sense. But I just think that like recognizing this is a spiritual war I'm in. It's not simply, you know, um, it isn't really about the thing. It's mm-hmm. about the thing behind the thing, which is the spiritual warfare. And so it's not like the fear, the fear of the thing is less real than we are often led to believe because it's the enemy telling us lies, you know? Right. And so, but what is more true is God's truth. And so when you're reciting the truth and reciting scripture and preaching the word back to yourself, I mean, you are literally fighting spiritual powers and principalities with the truth of God. And it's like you said, it actually works. I mean, and sometimes <laughs> we forget that we do have that power and we do have access to that and access yeah. to him. And he's a, like, he's a person, you know? And yeah. sometimes it, I, I just think it's it, being in a physical temporal world, like where those, those physical fears are so real, those situations, like it's not even, usually for me, it's not a physical fear. It's more of like a situational thing. Like you were saying, like worst case scenario thinking, like, when I'm in my unhealthy state, I go to like yeah. worst case scenario thinking. And I'm like, well, if, you know, if this goes badly, then that's going to go badly. And then I'm going to be stressed out and, you know, just letting, letting whatever circumstances I'm in define how I feel, what I'm mm-hmm. thinking about, what I'm dwelling on. And that affects everything. Like that affects my kids. That affects my husband, like the mood in our house. I mean, everything, you know, can go mm-hmm. <laughs> south very quickly if I'm letting those things kind of have power and have voice. Mm-hmm. Totally. What do you like? What verses specifically have been helpful for you in preaching the truth to yourself? Well, as it relates to fear lately, what was it? I had another one I wanted to share, but now it's not coming to my brain. But the the one that kind of led me to start getting on my knees was I think it's First Peter. Yes, First Peter five six and seven. So originally, I was I remember being frustrated at First Peter five seven, looking at it because it's like a coffee mug verse and it's casting mm-hmm. all your anxiety all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Mm-hmm. And I used to think that's so hard to do though, because it's like, I spent so many years trying to do that and being like, what does that mean? Like you said, what does that practically look like? And I would, I would be like, okay, God, I'm nervous about this. I'm really like, I can't sleep. I'm casting it. Why do I still feel horrible? You know? And then I realized that that is the second, now it's not in every translation, but in like two of them, it's the second half of a sentence. So Verse six says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that so that at the proper time he will exalt, he may exalt you, comma, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So I remember having this moment where I saw that and I was like, oh, how can I cast my anxiety on him by humbling myself? So practically, what does that look like? And that's why I started praying on my knees because I thought I like it'll help me to like physically humble myself, first of all, you know, like stop rushing and like praying on the go. Like I I'm one of these that I've had so many seasons of struggling to pray for, like, I would just kind of pray on the go all the time and like multitask everything all the time. And you can't, you know, I don't know. I just felt the Holy Spirit leading me to do that and humbling myself, meaning, like I said before, reminding myself of my status, you know, like my status is I can't do anything out of my own strength and Mm -hmm. I am weak and sinful and needy. And yeah, so that verse was really shaping for me because it helped me 
get my mind on eternal things. It it helps me get my mind on eternal things. Mm -hmm. And I love that that's not like the only one. Like I have so many personal things that have happened when I'm praying and seeking God. And sometimes like I'll find it when I'm looking at the Bible and looking in his word. And other times he'll just give it to me like in my brain where, you know, like I'll be laying in bed and I'll be talking to him about something. And then he'll put the answer through his word that I've memorized into my spirit. And it's like the coolest. Anyway, I wish I could remember the other one that I was going to share, but I can't. (laughs) So this might be interesting to ask, what's a recent fear or anxiety that you have combated and, and like walk us through the process that you have, you know, gone through in your prayer life or as far as, you know, how you fought, fought against that. Hmm. A recent one is I'm starting to speak at churches and stuff. I thought you were like, going to say to people. Talks. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what I was going to say. Um, I'm, I'm starting to speak at churches to women on a stage into a microphone, which is very, how it's like, you see this, it's like, we all see the people who do that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you kind of just think they were born doing that. Like there they are doing that, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, it's so, it's so funny to me because I never saw myself doing that. It wasn't something I wanted. It wasn't something I thought was glamorous in any way, because again, my mom was an actress. So she was talking into microphones, standing on stages. And I thought, Ooh, I don't want to do that. And I didn't feel like, yeah, it wasn't a desire of mine. And then the whole book thing kind of led to conversations like what we're having, which doesn't scare me anymore, but it did before I started doing it. Yeah. Just thinking I can't edit myself when I, when I'm, you Mm -hmm. know, being recorded and with writing, you can just, backspace, delete, show it to someone before anyone ever sees it. But the whole getting to talk about Jesus to people and not be able to edit myself is something, and maybe it sounds silly to people who don't think that's scary, but (laughs) for me, it's something I was so scared of. I remember a woman at church a few years ago when I had started writing books and I was doing some freelance work. She was like, oh, Scarlett, an old church I went to, so-and-so saw your blog and wanted to know if you would come speak. And I started laughing and I was like, oh, that's so sweet, Julie, but that's, you know, I kind of gave in over my dead body response because I was like, right. you know, everybody's got their thing. I'm definitely not cut out for that. Yeah. And it's just funny that so many things in my life, like the adoption of my daughter with special needs, and I can talk about that more in a minute, but it's like things that I never could have seen myself doing. And then God just keeps reminding me, like, this isn't about me at all. Mm-hmm. It's like, he gives all of us a story. We all have a story and we all have people in our lives and we can share that or we can not, (laughs) we can, you know, and I thought, am I going to let just the uncomfortableness, (laughs) that's not a word of um, discomfort, being in front of people, you know, being in front of people, keep me from sharing this story of Jesus healing me and helping me rest in him. No, I'm not going to do that. So it's so cool because one of the first things I did was speaking at uh, my own church and it was about 300 women. And I was so terrified and I thought, okay, God, this is totally a an obedience thing. I don't want to do this. Yeah. I know I'm going to feel horrible and drained after because I had already done a few other things mm-hmm. at other places where I didn't know the people. And it was great and it went great. But then I left and just felt like I got hit by a truck. It was just like adrenaline yeah. overload. Yes. And I spent the next day, I remember like the first two ones I did, I was in bed the next day and I'm <laughs> calling my husband like, I think I'm sick. Like seriously. <laughs> um, so I just kind of expected that. And it was so kind of the Lord that like I went into that one and it was the biggest one I had done. And I just felt loved by him and just so thankful that I got to just, I mean, what the whole book is, is me just passing along wisdom that I have gained from other people like Elizabeth. And it's like, Mm -hmm. 
you know, the wisdom of people helping me know how to walk with God and I get to share it with other people. And maybe other people will hear me quoting Elizabeth and be like, oh, I can rest, (laughs) you know? And so I left that night at my church with so much joy and peace. And I did not feel like I got hit by a truck and God has brought other opportunities for me to do that. And I'm thankful and I'm not saying I won't be nervous, but like, how cool, you know, that he asks us to do things, you know, it's cool. He asks us to do things we don't want to do because then we can do the whole, I'm weak and I need your strength thing other than just doing the thing we feel good about. Like, okay, I feel like I've got this and I don't need you, God. And maybe we won't say that, but we'll feel it, you know? So yeah, there's a recent one. (laughs) Yeah, that's really good. I know you guys are enjoying this episode. So let me tell you about the sponsor who made it possible. The founder of Prep Dish, Allison, created it after a decade as a personal and gourmet chef at high-end spots because she knew there was a better, more efficient, and cost-effective way to put healthy and crowd-pleasing meals on the table. No more thinking, no more stress, no more mealtime guesswork. All you do is get a grocery list, decide what day will be your prep day, and they provide step-by-step instructions for prepping your meals. So one day in the week, you spend two to three hours of time chopping, marinating, mixing sauces, etc., and then you have dish day, which is the day you actually eat the meals that you've cooked. You can go into the week feeling accomplished and looking forward to mealtime. Each daily prep time per meal is a quick and easy 20 to 30 minutes. If you want to check out Prep Dish, they're offering Kindled listeners a two-week free trial at PrepDish.com slash Kindled. So you do you still, I mean, from your book, it sounds like you you still struggle with fear and anxiety like any human, but you don't like stay there. And you, you talk yes. about how it's not forever. Fear is not forever, right? Right. How did you, I mean, just from like a, you know, perspective of doing something before you like arrived. Cause I think that's something a lot of women like struggle with is like, well, I haven't figured this out yet. So I can't really share my story or I'm not really like, right. I haven't overcome whatever that may be in their mind of like having victory or something like which our victory here on this earth is really not complete ever. Right. His victory is complete, but ours is kind of like already and not yet realized. So how did you like, how did you overcome even the fear or anxiety of writing a book on fear and anxiety when you're still struggling with it? And I mean, did you fight those lies of like, who are you to be writing this book? Or Hmm. was that a struggle for you? Or what, how did that kind of play out? Hmm. Well, I think that because the book was inspired by this kind of epiphany I had of like realizing that I could rest and that I didn't have to be anxious, I think... Hmm. Yeah, I I think when I started writing about Jesus, so I wrote about romance and boys in my 20s. <laughs> That's what I wrote about. I was trying to write chiclet. But when I started writing about Jesus, I was writing from a place of one kind of trying to figure stuff out as I was going through it <laughs> and just kind of sharing what God was teaching me in the moment. Now, the something I held on to was the eating disorder thing. I waited 10 years to share that because like you said, I felt like Honestly, it was probably like a fear of man thing. I thought because I can have a cynical bent when I am not walking with Jesus and be like, oh, but really, you know, I kind of just assumed people would be like, oh, but are you like, that's such a, I don't know. I just thought I really want a nice gap of time to go by before I share this. And I think that's wise in certain situations. Like there's certain things, you know, pray about it, discern, maybe I shouldn't share this yet. Right. But for the fear thing, because God was transforming my life in so many ways, my, like I said, my marriage, my friendships, 
leading us into this adoption scenario that I never, I mean, I was resistant towards the idea of adoption. It was such a scary idea to me. Yeah. And just getting to live that stuff out. And that happened before the books started happening. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of just a, the more he was leading me out of my, like you said a minute ago, like, yes, I still have fear and anxiety, but I don't stay there. That's, Mm -hmm. that was a perfect way of putting it. Like I'm not a slave to it anymore. I used to go probably years where every decision I made every day, I'd wake up, even my prayers would be through this filter of like, how can I protect myself and my people today rather than how can you use me today, God? How can I enjoy your love today? You know, I was just so tunnel visioned on being safe. So when I kind of felt like God was teaching me, like, maybe this is the thorn in your flesh and it's going to be the thing. And I'm, I mean, I'm thankful for it because maybe it's the thing that keeps me looking at Jesus and keeps me from feeling self-reliant. Yeah. But when he started doing that, I didn't have a fear of writing about it because I thought, you know, because I'm not, I'm not trying to say here I am having figured it all out. I'm trying to say we're in this together and we can look up and have hope, you know? So yeah, yeah, I would say to the person who feels like they have, that God wants them to share their testimony, but they're still in it. I would just say, approach it with humility because that's the whole thing, you know, humble yourselves. Like we are all broken (laughs) and we all struggle. And I think that people don't want to hear from polished, perfect looking people. People want to hear from people who are like, Hey, we're in this together. I'm fighting this too, you know? Yeah. Um, And it might be a good, like uh, x-ray question for your heart. Really. If you are thinking that you should have overcome something before, you know, um, before allowing God to use you in that area, is it because, is it because you're wanting the glory? (laughs) Is it because like you want to be glorified and, because like the only reason, I mean, not the only reason, but a big reason not to want to do that yet is like, if you can't point to yourself and say, look at what I did. And yeah. so the fact that like, when you're in the midst of the struggle or the battle and it's not over, like, you know, that Christ has ultimate victory and is, you know, and, and that, that also, you know, applies to us as children, but like, like you said, our posture is humility. So we can say, not look at me, but look at him. and right. so that enables us to speak out even in the midst of still being in the battle and like not having just be, you know, not having overcome everything that we ever faced. And yeah, that's just, that isn't that, I don't know, that isn't that moving for me, you know, to Hmm. like, if you come in here and we're like, yeah, I mean, I don't struggle with fear and anxiety anymore. I mean, one, I wouldn't believe you. (laughs) And then two, I'd be like, okay, well, that's not for me because I do, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, good for you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And another filter I think is helpful like now, since we're talking about sharing mm-hmm. stuff, God's bringing us through, like the fear thing is something that is like totally mine in my head. So I heard you, um, some of your interview with Jamie Ivy, whenever that happened and talk, and she said something about, was it, was it yours where she talked about, um, adoption and how some of that, that's her kid's story, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so I think that's important too, to like, look at whatever it is that God is teaching you and be like, is this mine to share? Is that, yeah. you know, is this right. good timing? Yeah. That's another filter I try to have when I write. Having a mentor or someone who you can look to for some outside, like. Yes, always. Someone who's wiser than you, you know. I do. I do that with everything. I mean, with everything. Once I got into this, like, where I didn't have a private Instagram account anymore and I started putting stuff out there and writing books. I start, like, I send, my husband helps me. He edits everything I write before I send it to my editors. He's great. But even, like, little things I post, I send to him first. (laughs) Like, if it's not 
something might, you know, well, even minor stuff, because sometimes I'll be in a bad mood and maybe, <laughs> maybe right. I'll be like, should I post this? And he'll be like, eh, no, <laughs> don't post that. Because I think we all, it's kind of a weird time in history that we're in, yeah. you know, I'm 33. So I remember life before social media. Yeah. I mean, I, you know how Facebook will pull up memories from mm-hmm. like seven years ago. I delete stuff from two years ago <laughs> that I posted. Like, why did I say that? Yeah. Um, so true. So I, I think it's super wise, whether you are doing something for the public. I mean, we all are, mm-hmm. if we're on social media, we are all putting something out into the public. Right. I think it's super wise, not necessarily like, oh, I better send this picture of my kids at BBS to my mm-hmm. somebody before. Not that, but like, if you want to share a testimony, I think it's mm-hmm. super wise to just run it by a trusted person. Yeah. Um, it's not yeah. going to hurt you. And it might, exactly. it might really benefit the story as well. And even just helping make it more accessible to other people too. Cause totally. sometimes we're so deep in our own stories. We like can't see the forest through the trees. Yep. <laughs> so you've mentioned your adoption situation. Tell us more about that and how you, you were like not looking to adopt and then you ended up adopting. How did that come about? Yeah. Well, my husband always wanted to, it was just a thing after he got saved before I ever met, before I ever met him. He just thought, what a beautiful picture of the gospel. We've been adopted by God. Adoption is all over the Bible. He always loved it. I had experience with it because um, when my mom remarried, my stepdad adopted me when I was eight. And he is amazing and wonderful and one of the best things that has ever happened to me. But again, I was so in a fear filter about everything. I just thought, how can anyone adopt anyone? Like that is such a scary thing. Like not only is it so much uncertainty, physically and like in every way but also like I knew enough people who had done it to know that like they send you a form that says boy or girl here are two pages of special needs yes no or may consider to all these things and I thought I remember just when my husband first brought up wanting to I was like no I was like that's great for some people like let's let's help raise money for somebody else to do it because Mm -hmm. which is also a great way to help but I thought I don't want to personally do it because one, I don't want to choose. Like, I don't want to pick someone who is just like me, who's like a healthy newborn, because then maybe I'll feel guilty for not picking the sickest, most different needy kid out there, or I'll pick the most sick, different needy kid. And then I'll, it'll be the hardest thing in the world. And who knows what it will do to our family and our lives and blah, blah, blah. So those were my fears and soup. And I write about it in the book, so I won't go on and on, but super mm-hmm. long story short, it felt like God put these people in my life strategically, all these adoptive families. And I have a cousin who adopted two little girls with special needs from China. I saw pictures from the orphanage and a conversation with my then five-year-old oldest um, led to God just dropping this desire to adopt Mm -hmm. a little girl with special needs in my heart. It was so funny because I was like literally driving. My my daughter brought up adoption because she has friends who are adopted and it's around, we live in the Bible belt. It's all, it's all around us. But she was like, I'm so glad I have a mom and dad and a house to live in. And I did this thing that I think we Christian parents do, where it's like, we want to instill the gospel Mm -hmm. and the truth in our kids, even if we're like going through the motions sometimes. And I was totally doing that. I was like, yes, ever. God, sometimes you're, you know, if a mommy and a daddy have what they need to help a child, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like going through this like spiel Mm -hmm. about adoption, just to answer her question. And in that moment, it was so supernatural. He just dropped it in my heart. And I started crying as I was explaining it to her. And I called my husband and he started crying. And it was the coolest, coolest 11 month thing because we had, we did not have anything saved to be able to do that. It's super expensive. God provided every penny in the coolest ways. He led us to the special need of deafness 
and we had never met deaf people and we all learned sign language. And he led us to this little girl who was older than what we planned. We were like, oh, the experts say go in birth order. So we're going to go in birth order. And my youngest was one. She wasn't even two. And um, God led us to Joy, who was almost four. And she couldn't walk and wasn't potty trained either. And those were not things we checked yes to. Yeah. But we just really felt God leading us to her. And I always preface this story with God does not always answer everything in miraculous way. Well, I mean, you know, he... He doesn't always answer stuff with the miracle that we hope it'll be like, yeah, yes. Like in my book, I write about a miscarriage I had where I was praying for a miracle and I was going to give him glory. And then it wasn't the miracle that, you know, the baby didn't make it. I almost died and I was angry with God. And I was like, why? And I just, but the miracle he did was helping me have assurance of my faith, which I did not have. And that's a whole other long story, but it's like, you know, his ways are higher than our ways. Yeah, it's true. Like we don't always understand. But with Joyce, anyway, that's the the statement I say before I say that God did a miracle and we went and adopted her. And it was terrifying because I felt protected in this bubble of peace during the process. But meeting her was so different because it's just different than having babies who safely grow inside of your body. Like I have two of those and um, mm-hmm. they're born trusting you and you love them every second of their lives. It's very different than adopting a child who's been in traumatic situations for almost yeah. four years and has all these medical needs. And it was so yeah. scary. And yeah. And I'm just so thankful people who had done it before me were honest with me about how emotionally hard it is. And then God did the coolest thing. He totally healed her. It's been a little over two years that she's been in our family and she is fluent in sign language. Wow. She can actually hear with a hearing aid, which we didn't expect because her inner ear works. She just doesn't have outer ears. So she doesn't, she was born with no ears on the outside. Mm. So she can hear us and understand us, but then she signs back to us and Mm -hmm. we get it because we learn sign language and physically she's completely healed. Mm. I see a little kid. Um, (laughs) Physically she's healed. Like her physical therapy person said she doesn't need me anymore and she's just doing amazing and she's happy and it's just crazy. So, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I just am like struck by, you know, I'm, I know you've already realized this, but it's like someone who struggles with fear and anxiety their whole life, like brought into like the most uncertain kind of precarious, like no guarantees, you know, challenge upon challenge, like just what a beautiful and poetic way for God to give you, you know? So, I mean, like you said, like the miracle, not necessarily the miracle you wanted, like he didn't just heal you if you're in anxiety and you know, you're not afraid anymore. He gave you you know, the opportunity to trust him and the opportunity to have faith, yes. which is like so often how he works. You know, you pray for patience. He gives you a situation where you need to be patient. So exactly, I often can be a, a, like kind of obsessed with like efficiency or the fastest route to whatever I want. And he's not concerned with efficiency. You know, he's really not, he's not like, I don't need this to take, I'm, you know, I mean, he led the Israelites around in the desert for 40 years. He's in in it for the long game. He's not here to get us the fastest result, you know? Yeah. That's really cool. What what an awesome testimony. So she's been in your family for two years now and your family's complete. It's, I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah. She, it's the coolest, like there's all these unexpected blessings that have come out of it because not only do we get to daily and I knew this, like I expected, it's going to be really hard to look away from the gospel when I have a special needs daughter from China who I communicate with, with my hands. Like I knew that that would be a product of it. Like whether or not she healed, like when I met her in China, I thought that's going to be really good for us. But I didn't 
realize like <laughs> all the spiritual things that have come just because she's mm-hmm. in our family, like having her walk into the grocery store with us. It's so cool yeah. because it's like, she's very noticeable. <laughs> she's obviously different. And like that first year of her being home, she was so tiny. She was the size of a one-year-old, but she was almost four, but she would kind of start acting like a four-year-old before her body caught up. So people would be like, how old is she? And they'd have all these questions Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. questions would lead to Jesus because it's like, how do you share a story like this without just, it's even cooler that I would never do something like this. And that I am a very, I'm known for being a fearful person. So it's like, it's not even something I can give myself any glory or credit for if I wanted to, like, it's totally, it wasn't my desire. It was from the very second we decided to do it. It was all God. And so it's just been so cool to get to have this living, breathing, joyful, her name's joy. We'd renamed her joy, joyful, little joy doing life with us. And it just leads to so many conversations that I never would have had, you know? Yeah. That's so amazing what was your hope in writing the book? Like for readers after they finish, where do you want to leave people? Well, I wrote it in a lighthearted way because I thought when I'm feeling really afraid or stuck in something, I don't like, I kind of crave escapism or like, I want to watch something funny, you know? And I thought I would love to write a book that has the truth and like is saturated in scripture, but also lighthearted, you know? So I want, I wrote it like I told you, like story driven. Um, I want people to feel lighter when they read it, but I also want them to have to kind of gather tools to fight it. So I have this section, I forgot what chapter it's in, but I talk about all these different lies. I've, I think it's chapter two lies that I've believed that comforted me at the time. (laughs) It's like, Mm. we can kind of cling to lies that feel comforting. I mean, lies like if I get a home security system, nothing bad will happen to me when I'm in my home. Right, right. A home security system is great, but it's not going to keep you safe from life, you know? And so I kind of wrote out these different lies that would leave me, I'd do something like that. I'd get ADT and then I'd still feel panicked in my ADT secure townhouse. So what does the Bible say about that? So then I kind of just combated, like you said, we're in a spiritual battle. How do we combat the lie with the truth? So I hope people can read it and kind of see their own story while I'm telling my story and kind of gather the the comforting verses they can hide in their hearts and be encouraged to, I write a lot about this, like enter into community because when you're anxious, like you want to be isolated and that's like death. Like you cannot, like God made us for community. That's something I resisted for a long time. And I'm just so thankful that I let people into my life and got into theirs uh, mm-hmm. And like we talked about earlier, like they preach the gospel to me and help me. And, um, and I also write about like different sources of anxiety, which I totally got from a Tim Keller sermon and I cite it in there, <laughs> but um, he preached a sermon called the wounded spirit. And he talks about all these different, like emotional, physical, moral, uh, existential, like all, there's all these different sources. It's not like yeah. you can take a pill and everything's happy because if you are right. living in sin and that's where your anxiety comes from, right. then you need to repent. Cause that's going to, you know, but if you have a thyroid disorder, praying more is not going to help. I mean, it's going to help, mm-hmm. but it's not going to cure you because you need medicine for your thyroid. So yeah, I, I hope it also helps people kind of self-diagnose and be like, where is this coming from? And what can I yeah. do to pursue Christ with where I'm at? You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's really good. Well, I encourage everyone to check out your book. Where can they connect with you online and find your book? The easiest way is probably afraidofallthethings.com because my name is hard to spell. <laughs> but yeah. um, if you're looking at your, my name on your phone, 
myname.com slash books. You can see mm-hmm. all the different places you can buy it um, online or on Instagram. I'm Scarlett Hiltabidal. Okay. Twitter, I'm I'll Scarlett link it in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. Afraid of all the things.com. It's all yeah. there. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's get, thank you so much, Scarlett, for taking the time to chat with us today. And um, I think a lot of people will be encouraged by your story and your testimony and encouraged in continuing to fight that fight wherever they are in it. Thank you, Haley. Thank you. Guys, thank you for listening today. Next week, you're going to want to be sure to come back because I'm going to be chatting with my guest, Anne Kennedy, about the theology of Rachel Hollis. This is something I've talked a lot about in my Instagram stories and chatted with many of you um, about in DMs and on posts throughout this past year. And I'm really excited that I finally found someone who is wise, is grounded in scripture and in a biblical worldview to help walk through what exactly Rachel Hollis's theology is. So next week is going to be um, an incredible episode. I encourage you to come back and uh, tell your friends about it if they're the type of friends who would be interested in that. Yeah, so don't forget to come back next week and uh, and check that out. As always, if you have a few extra seconds, please show some love to Kindled by doing one of the the following things or all three if you really love the show. Uh, Leave an iTunes review and rating. Screenshot this episode and share it in Instagram. It could be your stories or an actual post. Uh, Most of you will probably want to do stories though. And just tag me and let me know that you enjoyed this episode and subscribe to the show. That way all the episodes get delivered to you automatically and you're not going to miss out on any of the amazing interviews that I have prepared for you. Okay, guys, have a great week and I'll see you next Monday.